Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue and coming off a fun episode last uh, last time around on Tuesday, we had Adiza Isaac, Denai Dennis Sutton, uh, two of the premier members of, of the Penn State defensive line on the podcast with us previewing the NIL event that's going to take place at the Avalon Yacht Club at the Jersey Shore next Thursday night. I enjoyed hearing about the NIL experience and the landscape that is evolving from their point of view. Uh, and obviously looking ahead to preseason camp with them for a solid 20 minutes. Uh, if you missed that episode, pop on Tuesday. We also had Tyler Calvaruso breaking down some upcoming commitment announcements. A little more clarity on one of those announcements, actually. Uh, Liam Andrews, the top 100 overall uh, defensive line prospect out of New England, will be announcing with 24-7 Sports at 11 a.m. So that's on Friday. You've got T.A. Cunningham set to announce on Saturday afternoon. But 24-7 Sports Network is the place to be when it comes to the Andrews announcement, which is one of the more highly anticipated ones for this Nittany Lions recruiting class. A few schools in the mix there. Uh, we've seen some Penn State momentum in the crystal ball. We'll get an answer on Friday. But the heads up there uh, for now we're going to shift gears and focus on where Penn State football is heading uh, in just a matter of days to Indianapolis and then just a little while later here on the episode we'll talk about where Penn State football's heading to open their away schedule for the 2023 season that's a Big Ten matchup at Illinois noon kickoff and we'll break that one down with Jeremy Werner who is the 24-7 sports insider for the Illini. Excited to get him on. I'll be on his podcast this week. He's going to give us the lowdown on Illinois on our podcast. But first things first, here is Mark Brennan. He will be heading out to Indy alongside Daniel Gallen. We'll talk about some Penn State basketball a workout that you and Daniel got a chance to see uh, just last week. Of course, Daniel would normally be in this conversation with you and I, Mark, but he's taking his leave of absence at the moment. He's away on vacation, unplugging a little bit. I did it last week. You did it the week before. If folks haven't picked up on that, we're kind of getting our little bit of rest in as we can in July, and we'll be rendezvousing uh, next week. You guys are out in Indianapolis. Uh, Tyler Calvaruso will be here for the Lash Bash and, and, and the final prospect camp weekend. Uh, so we're, we're all systems go, and then all of a sudden we're at preseason media day, Mark. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Hey, before we started, I wanted to give a shout out to you. Uh, the, the numbers came out from our network and the Lions 247 podcast was number seven overall and seven year over year, number seven year over year growth, which is really cool. And for people who listen to the podcast and watch the podcast, Tyler has really elevated this thing to a whole different level. So uh, very thrilled with the work that you've done. Happy to pitch in whenever I can, but you obviously drive this thing and have done an outstanding job. So you didn't know that was coming, but it's here. And I just wanted to congratulate the site in general, kind of patting ourselves on the back. But none of that happens without you. Uh, and great job doing it. I really appreciate it. I didn't know that was coming. I didn't know I needed an agent, but apparently maybe I need to, to, to ask you about representing me. I appreciate that, Mark. And, and obviously, um, going back a long ways, I have, was, had not been alone in the growth of this podcast, but taking on a, a bit of a different course here in the last year and a half or so, and uh, just a tremendous group effort and a lot of guests that we've been able to get on the show. So appreciate them for being responsive to our interest and vice versa. But moving forward here, Mark, and putting the, the spotlight back on Penn State football, yeah. James Franklin and company, they'll be out at Lucas Oil Stadium. That's that's also the destination everyone wants to get to in early December for the Big Ten championship game. And that's really where Penn State players have been on the record about getting to. We'll hear from James Franklin at the podium uh, in just a matter of days. You'll be there Tuesday through Friday in Indianapolis. Mark, set the stage for us a little bit about who you expect to hear from from this Penn State contingent and really what you want to get out of the experience. To me, the most important person we're going to talk to, not with respect to this team, but respect to, 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 to the news of the day or 
or, or, or subjects that are kind of up for discussion is going to be Pat Kraft. From from what I gather, uh, unlike in previous years, the athletic director is not going to be available at Lucas Oil Stadium or during the event. He's going to be available the night before. Uh, so Tuesday night, uh, that's the way things stand right now. You know, be on alert uh, because we're going to have an opportunity to ask Pat Kraft some questions. And, you know, I think first and foremost is going to be NIL. We saw James Franklin and the push he made in early July. And I just want to circle back to that a little bit. People are probably wondering, why did he come out and make that push in early July? Well, you and I both know that June is just an absolute crush from a recruiting standpoint for the coaching staff. And it's official visits, it's camps, it's team camps. You got uh, freshman enrollment. Yeah, freshman enrollment. It's doing all those things. So the norm, normal human beings, uh, normal coaches go take take a little bit of vacation. James Franklin ain't wired that way. Uh, he had something that he wanted to get off his chest, and he 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 basically came out, told Adam Brenneman that that he feels Penn State's two years behind on the NIL front. To me, th- that is a huge question for Pat Kraft because we're now one year in on his tenure. And he was said a similar thing uh, to alumni last year around this time, Pat Crafted. And so why is it taking a year and you're still not kind of caught up? So I think that's question number one for Pat Craft. And I don't mind tipping my my you know tipping my hand on that. I think if I don't ask it, somebody's going to ask it. But there are a lot of other questions out there for Pat Craft. Uh, you know, the stadium expansion or stadium renovation. Uh, I, I think the, the the situation with the Big Ten with Penn State being the only team that doesn't have a dedicated opponent. What are they calling that, where they play the same team every year? Uh, are they calling it the oh, designated rivals? Yeah, the designated rival. Penn State's right. the only t- team that doesn't have one of those. So those are the sorts of questions, I think, from Pat Kraft's perspective. And then maybe circling back a little bit to the new uh, basketball coaching hire, you know, where things are, big-picture perspective for Penn State athletics. But those specific things, I think, are must-ask questions that we really need to get answers to from the athletic director. And then with respect to James Franklin, I think following up on some of his NIL comments, uh, clearly he understands the importance of where they need to be NIL-wise. He's been patient, and I think now he, he's, he, he doesn't want to be patient anymore because he wants to make sure that they're able to keep up. And from a player perspective, I know you touched on some of the preseason things and offseason workouts. And, uh, you know, when you talk to uh, the guys Tuesday, I think a lot of those same similar type of things. Where is the program coming out of summer workouts? We know they just did testing last week. You know, where is the leadership of this team? Uh, All those questions that we've had. But where are they now? Because remember, they can't really work out with the coaching staff a lot during the during the summer. Most of it is done with the strength staff. So it's that's when the leadership really develops. And, and how has that come along? And where are some of these young players who they're going to be relying on as leaders, like Drew Aller, just because he's naturally in a leadership position, how far along has he come? So I know I've gone off on a lot of different things there, but it's going to be a, a jam-packed uh, Wednesday. Yeah, Penn State mm-hmm. actually goes Wednesday. Packraft scheduled for Tuesday night. We'll see if that change changes. The Penn State contingent uh, will all speak Wednesday, and then it'll yeah. be interesting to see what we're able to gather on on Thursday. You know, can can we you know sneak around and maybe get, catch up with Matt Rule? Uh, I, I I see Nick Rick Neuheisel is going to be in the house for CBS. It would be fun to maybe catch up with him and ask about all those Penn State rumors years back 
that predated you. Uh, but 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 longtime members of the site will know that Rick Neuheisel was allegedly going to be Penn State's next coach for about 15 years. Uh, and was reportedly spotted 40 different times in state college. So I don't know if we'll have a chance to catch up with him, but that's something that could be fun. So I know I went in a lot of different directions, but it's going to be a busy a busy week next week. No, it's, a, it's a primary example of just how much is kind of, you had to fill the notebook up and, and fill the f- photos up, and we're going to have all the galleries and video, and, and Daniel will be there with you, and I'll be here back at headquarters. We'll check in with you on the podcast when we can. Um, but you've got a busy week ahead, and so does James Franklin, because going back to your NIL point, what he's going to be speaking at the podium in Lucas Oil Stadium on Wednesday, and then he'll be at the shore the next day speaking to all these people who made it to the Avalon Yacht Club for the event we just discussed. And just how important and pressing is that issue with Pat Kraft in the upcoming conversation, the NIL spectrum that seems to change day by day? Well, we just had two of the premier members of Penn State's uh, roster on this podcast, and it took us about 10 minutes to through that conversation to get to football. And that's where it really is in a lot of ways. You hear James Franklin on national conversations right now when he gets a chance to hop on some of these radios or podcasts and it's not necessarily a lot about who's going to light it up on the field for you this fall those questions do come but it's more about what are you doing in the arms race that is college football right now and I'm really curious the Northwestern circus is going to be obviously front and center out there in Indy how is that going to be handled that's kind of just a different uh different thing altogether but the Ohio State Michigan Penn State logjam of sorts in this last year of the East Division mark is is such a compelling thing because you've got three teams that fully expect to be in the top eight to ten of that AP poll that's going to drop in a matter of weeks. They've got to play each other as usual. Only one of them can get back to Indy, and yet you get the feeling that by the end of the season, you could have two or three that seem college football playoff eligible. Unfortunately for all of them, the, that doesn't open up to uh, more than four teams for a little while longer. Yeah, on one of our network things, I was asked about to 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 say what is my main storyline for the Big Ten, and it's like, thank goodness it's the end of this divisional play because it's just so stupid, you know. You, and with all due respect, with no due respect to the teams in in the West, I should say, because they haven't earned it. I mean, it's it's just going to be su- such a breath of fresh air next year to see. Uh, kind of the two best teams in, in the conference playing for the conference championship. And it's a shame that it's taken them that long uh, to get there. But also, hey, listen, you know, the, the pending uh, arrival of, of USC and UCLA, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the Big Ten being spread across more television networks now, which is going to be there's going to be even more on CBS, which, by the way, uh, a lot of stuff will be on Paramount Plus, which comes as a free perk for our uh, full pay, full paying subscribers. Uh, that's next year. Uh, but a lot of those different things. I also wanted to explain, Tyler, I'm sorry, I kind of ducked this earlier, but just the format of the way that this works. Uh, so people know, because people will watch this on BTN and that's a good way to do it. They'll watch big 10 media days on BTN and see the guys and see the coaches up on the main podium, but there's the so appetizer. much. Yeah. The appetizer. There, there's yeah. so much more to it than that. Uh, they moved it to Lucas Oil Stadium in 2021, I want to say, uh, after COVID. Um, and, you know, I loved it when it was in Chicago. It's it, it such a, 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 a cool place to be and to do it. But I have to say, in terms of practicality, uh, it's on the main field at Lucas Oil Stadium. So when you're watching football games or when you're watching the NFL Combine, that's where, we're, where we are. We're down on the field. 
the coaches all speak for, I think, 10, 15 minutes, something like that at the main podium. And then there are breakout sessions where each coach goes to his podium and then all the players go to their podiums. A key difference for Penn State this year, the, I, for as many years as I can remember, there have been overlaps with Franklin and the Penn State players, which was ridiculous because some of the more <clears throat> traditional programs in the Big Ten never seem to be dealing with that or deal with it much more infrequently. Uh, I don't know if Pat Kraft said something or what, but the reason that was an issue is because if you want to see everything that James Franklin has to say, and he's going at the exact same times as the Penn State players, you're going to miss something. So separating them up a little bit will allow us to focus on Franklin. And then Daniel and I will both be there. There'll be three players, Olu Fashanu, uh, Keaton Ellis and Adisa Isaac, who you just talked to. And one of us will be with both of them and we'll put a recorder down with, with the other one and move around and do stuff and get video and whatever. Uh, and those things go for an hour. I think it's an hour. Yeah. yeah. So that, that is a, uh, you know, the, the, <laughs> they get awkward. Sometimes there's guys from, you know, the Rutgers of the conference that are sitting there and they're just tapping their toes and looking at their phone and watch, you know, and then there's guys, and this is where I wanted to go next. Olu step into the spotlight because he got a taste of it last year. Yeah. He's been featured in national publications. He's been at some of NIL events where I know he's <clears> felt <throat> that limelight, but now it's going to be different. And, and he's going to start to, I think, step into a different realm uh, with, with his experience at Penn state and in college football, he came back, uh, turned down potential first round opportunity to maybe be the top offensive lineman in the country. That's going to come with a lot of questions at an event like this. Uh, and, and I'm really curious to see what that looks like. Cause Olu has never been uh, going back to his high school career, a guy who commands the, the, the camera uh, and a guy who, who necessarily wants to be holding the mic and shouting at you from it. So He's going to have a lot of sustained conversation. He's going to be asked to talk about himself. He's going to be asked to maybe poke some holes in his game, but really to hype himself up. And so how does he kind of walk that line? It's going to be a, a new territory for Olu. And, and then I'm just going to throw this your way. Keaton Ellis, a bit of a forgotten man. He's a team captain for a defense that's loaded with talent. He's the hometown kid. You and I have covered him a long time. You've known him forever because uh, you're a hometown guy. Uh, so, you know, putting Adisa Isaac to the side because we had him for 20 minutes in the last podcast – you know, those are where I stand with Olu and Keaton because Keaton may have a few smattering of media coming to him. Olu's going to consistently have a mass of people in front of him, whether they're covering Ohio State or they're covering Michigan or Rutgers. They're probably going to be told, go get a camera on Olu Fashionu because their outlet is going to want a clip of Olu Fashionu. Yeah, one of the other cool things about Big Ten Media Days is you actually can size these these guys up. You know, like you 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 can walk like right along with them. Not that you're stalking them or anything, but they're just walking around where you are. Like when they're done, you know, they just they're going from place to place. And I will guarantee you uh, that people are going to be looking at Olu and be like, "Whoa, yeah," you know, because he is a physically impressive guy. But I will also say this: he has not had a ton of media experience. But I think you and I both know that if you're in a room with Olu Fashinu, you are not the smartest person in the room. He is, no, he is no. the smartest person. <laughs> he is the smartest person in the room. And this now, is not I, hyperbole, folks. He has the highest GPA on this Penn State roster coming out of uh, out of the spring semester. Yeah, so. and if you talk to him, and, 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 the, and the cool thing is, like when you talk to him, he doesn't beat it, you over the head with it. Like if you talk to John Amici, he knew that he was smarter than you, and and, and he didn't he didn't like. 
you, you knew that he knew, you know what I mean? It's like, he wasn't afraid uh, to, to let you know just, just how, how, how intelligent he was. One of the most intelligent people I've ever met in my life. Olu can talk to you just like a normal person. And uh, so, so he, it's not overwhelming, but my point being, this is a super smart guy. And I think he's going to handle himself very well. Will he do it with kind of the panache or the pizzazz of some different players? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know (laughs) that he has to uh, because, you know, at the end of the day, he's going to be ending up making a a boatload of money as a high first round draft pick regardless. But I do think he could really stamp himself as 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 if not the face of the program, one of the serious faces of the program. Uh, yeah. for this season. I, I just want to circle back to Keaton Ellis. I understand BTN's doing something on him. Hey, you know, sometimes we forget about these guys who come in and are contributors for their entire careers and aren't necessarily flashy, but take on whatever role is asked of them. And Keaton was a guy who came in with that great cornerback group. There obviously was a log jam of talent at cornerback. They needed some help at safety at the time. He willingly moved over to safety. He's done whatever they've asked on special teams. Uh, so as somebody from State College, he's a year ahead of the intern. He was a year ahead of the intern uh, at State High. Very proud to see what he's become and, and anxious to see how far he's able to take it this year where he's going to really have an opportunity to step up as as one of the serious leaders and i think the fact that they're sending him out there speaks to what they're expecting of him because they just don't sit there everything with james franklin nothing with james franklin is done just kind of you know okay yeah send keaton else no he gives a lot of thought to these things and who's going to represent the program very well and if you look back over the years can you ever remember a penn state player not handling themselves well at this event, especially under James Franklin. And, you know, the most, the craziest it ever got, it needed to be said, was after the scandal broke and and people were being maybe unfair to the Penn State players, Mike Motti really opened up and, and right. went off. But that was needed. So, and, and that's where, getting back to w- with Franklin, s- since he's been the head coach of the program, he's done a really good job of picking guys who are going to go out there and represent the program really well. So I think from a Penn State perspective, look forward to what James has to say, look forward to what those players have to say, but I'm really looking forward to what Kraft has to say. Last year it was Sean Clifford, PJ Mustafer, Jair Brown, uh, a new trio to, to, to talk to and, and, and look at here. And, and just a matter of days, a bunch of coverage coming at Lions 24-7. Uh, you recently got a look at the Penn State basketball program, which looks a lot different than when you saw them uh, and their, when their tournament run came to an end in March Madness. Uh, new head coach, that's stating the obvious, but essentially a new roster. There's a few carryovers from last year who elected to stay in town. Some stuck their head in the portal and came back. Some didn't go in the portal at all, but... The conversation has been largely based on the transfer portal, and that's impact here. And you got your first look at a workout. Daniel was with you. you had a bunch of coverage at Lines twenty four seven recently, but we haven't covered it here on the podcast. I guess give us the bullet points here of of what really stood out and you took away from what wasn't a full on basketball scrimmage frenzy, but was I'd imagine an enlightening glimpse into where Penn State basketball is in July twenty twenty three. Yeah, the coaching staff is able to do limited off-season workouts with players. So this was, I think, a 45-minute uh, session. And thanks to Mike Rhodes and his staff and Chelsea uh, for opening the entire thing up to the media. <clears throat> Speaking of Chelsea, the SID, uh, she was nice enough to give us this card so we could figure out who everybody is. Because when you have eight transfers, 
<laughs> a true freshman. If you're not watching on YouTube, Mark's holding up a yeah, card sorry. here that, that has the, the photos of, of all these guys' faces. And yeah, some of them are so new that they're actually the generated photos from their commitments. And that now it's, it's they almost need like the nameplates on their on their chest that say, Hi, my name is uh, during these events. Yeah, and the beauty of yeah, and I'm, I'm for people listening, this is this is the sound of a roster being. Uh, but the, the, the funny part is, so they have all of their project, not projected what their actual numbers will be on this roster. Well, they still don't have all their practice jerseys ready. So different guys were wearing different practice jerseys and it was tough to figure out who certain guys were, but you know, who wasn't tough to figure out who, 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 who was who Ace Baldwin. Mm -hmm. I mean, this guy, you know, he, for people who don't know, uh, Mike Rhodes was the head coach at, um, uh, at VCU, Ace Baldwin uh, followed him to uh, Penn State, and uh, he was the A-10 Player of the Year and Defensive Player of the Year. Yeah. And Penn State lists him at 6'1", I think 190, something like that. I don't know if he's quite that big, uh, but he's got long arms, and you could just tell out there that this dude is a natural leader. You know, when they were going through stuff, it was great to have him and uh, – and, uh, Nick Kern, I'm sorry, I'm I, I'm referring to my uh, to to the Another kids VCU transplant. Yeah, yep. two of the kids who both followed uh, Rhodes, but especially Ace Baldwin. Uh, when they're going through drills and stuff, when 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 Rhodes is showing how to close out on defense or, or how they want to push the tempo on offense, he was able to kind of lean into Ace Baldwin to help show how to do different things. And when you have all these different players coming from different areas, whether it's Puff Johnson from North Carolina or someone from Temple or, you know, all these different players, it was really – you can tell that Ace Baldwin is just a natural leader, and I think he's going to be the proverbial straw that, that stirs the drink. And, you know, the other guy that really stood out to me was Kanye Clary. You know, he's a guy who – he's a holdover, uh, started to play really well for Penn State in, in the Big Ten tournament and then in the NCAA tournament. And he's looking like a guy who's just absolutely getting after it. Uh, the other guy who, who, who jumped out at me, uh, that you're looking at all these new players, and, and what are you expecting? Like Puff Johnson, uh, the, 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 the transfer from North Carolina, mm -hmm. we knew a lot about him. Kind of a longer guy. His brother is a, is a proven NBA you know, star at this point. He just signed a massive contract, but he's a 6'7", 6'8" you know, wing who could do a lot of different things. I think we kind of knew what to expect from him. Uh, but DeMarco, yeah, DeMarco Dunn, excuse me. And it, it, I'm telling you people, it is difficult. We, I usually could spit these things off very quickly. He's the other transfer from North Carolina, but he's 6'5", and he's an athlete. And he was very, you can tell, he didn't see a lot of playing time at North Carolina, and I'm not sure what the situation is was there. I may have to touch base with some of our friends down at Inside Carolina, which is just an awesome site. Uh, but but he was he just looked like he was really terrific. And then I want to get this right as well. Uh, <laughs> geez, this is so hard without my glasses. Yeah, Raquandis Mitchell. I posted the photo of him dunking. You'll figure uh, it out by Thanksgiving, Mark. You'll get yeah, this yeah. done by Thanksgiving. Well, we're we're kind of in football mode, but he's the we he's are. the guy who's been at seven different colleges, uh, but just six five, lean and gets after it. One thing I will say about this team, you know, where it I, I wonder about it. It's long, it's athletic, it's going to be able to get up and down the court. The one thing that I'm a little bit worried about after watching that one workout, and again, 
don't take too much positive or negative out of watching one workout. It's just not the biggest team out there. There, there's height, uh, but it's just not a lot of width. So mm-hmm. you have a couple of big men who are like 240. But if you looked at Penn State last year, uh, you know, you had Seth Lundy who was 220. You had Miles Dredd who at 6'4 was 240. Pickett was 210. So even aside from the big men, you had guys, you know, Mikey Hen was a 240 pounder. You know, you had bigger physical guys who who could turn a game into a street fight and win a street fight. I'm not questioning the toughness of this this team because these guys, I'm sure, wouldn't be playing this level if they weren't tough, but just the sheer bulk. And when you get into the Big Ten, we know how important that could be. So those are some of the things that kind of stood out to me, some of the players who stood out to me. But Ace Baldwin, really high on Ace Baldwin. I think he's going to be a great addition to this team, and I think he is going to be the key guy for them in terms of carrying over what Mike Rhodes was able to do at VCU. A bunch more at lines247.com, photo gallery, uh, some commentary on, on what Mark and Daniel saw. Uh, we're going to finish with this, Mark, though. Uh, a few of those names you just mentioned from last year's squad uh, had their run in NBA Summer League as rookies. And and overall, you know, we got a pretty good sample size of all three. Lundy, Pickett, Funk. Curious to hear your takeaways uh, fr- from the time that you may have spent watching them yourself. And then also uh, our very own Daniel Gallon did a great job you know, providing kind of updates at lions247.com with these guys on, on, on every few days. Yeah, Jalen Pickett and Funk, both with the Denver Nuggets, uh, GM Calvin Booth, former Penn State player. Uh, I was wondering how, how Pickett's game was going to translate to that next level. And I got to tell you, it translates. I mean, for, you know, for people who have watched him play, he's not super athletic. He's not super fast, but he just knows how to play. And he kept doing it game after game in the summer league, stat stuffing. You know, I think he averaged around 11 points. I've checked Daniel's story, but, you know, the points were there, the assists. Uh, he, he was robbed in one game. He was robbed of about eight assists just because the team was bricking shots left and right. He, I think he would have had a triple double if not for that. Uh, steals, shooting really well from the three point line. I mean, he's got a spot in the NBA. I, I was wondering about it, but I would have to take a close look at that Nuggets roster. But they signed him to a fairly lucrative contract uh, for a couple of years, so I think he's going to. I think he's going to find a spot on a roster. Funk, it was tough because he didn't see a lot of playing time early in the summer league, and for a player like that, you know, he's not a volume shooter, but he's a guy who has to get a bunch of shots. So when he finally in a game where he did get a sh- shots. He made a good a good amount of them. I think finished with 15 points, and then saw limited action in the final game. I think you know they signed him to an Exhibit 10 contract, which means he'll be invited to camp. I think it's going to be tough for him to make a roster. He his best option may be playing overseas. Uh, I don't know if the G League would be the best fit for him, but we'll have to see. And then Seth Lundy, his last game wasn't very good for the Atlanta Hawks, but prior to that, he saw about 19 minutes a game, and he was just doing really, really well. You know, the thing I forgot about Seth, he's he's 6'5", but I think his wingspan is like 6'8", and you were really seeing it. He was blocking shots, he was rebounding, he was defending, and most importantly, he was hitting three. So his path to the league is going to be as a 3 and D guy, 
And I think he has an opportunity. He was signed to a two-way contract, which means he can play up to 50 games in the NBA, but likely the majority of his first season or two will be in the G League with the Hawks team. And I think that's perfect for him because I think he'll be able to round out his game, continue to work on being a three-point shooter, continue to work on his defensive skills. Uh, I was wondering about Seth was wondering about his decision to go, but I think ultimately he made the right decision because I think even if he stays another year at Penn State, I don't think he go, he's drafted higher than he was, which I think was like 47, uh, and I don't think he lands in a better spot than he did with the Hawks. Well, I appreciate that perspective, Mark. And, and before we get over uh, to our preview of the uh, early preview of the Big Ten opener for Penn State football, I uh, just wanted to hear your thoughts. You were mentioning this to me before we recorded. Uh, some Penn State basketball alum are involved, uh, getting the gang back together in, in some ways right now. And give us the lowdown and, and how fans can track this stuff down. Yeah, the basketball tournament, uh, it's going to be on, I think, ESPN next week. Uh, the 24th is when the Penn State team plays. So John Hara, former Penn State big man, is the GM, GM and coach of this team. Uh, a bunch of former players uh, from Penn State, some who finished their careers at Penn State, some who did not in this age of the transfer portal. But uh, TBT is a one-and-done million dollar. The winner, I think there's 64 teams, the winner of it, uh, earns a million bucks, and then they split it among the different players. Uh, it's a fun tournament to watch if, if you're looking for hoops next week. Uh, but some of the players involved, Curtis Jones Jr., Jamari Wheeler, who ended his career at, uh, at Ohio State, Josh Reeves, who didn't necessarily leave on the best terms, <laughs> Julian Moore, Mike Watkins, who's ni nice to see him playing hoops, Miles Dredd, who graduated from Penn State and now is actually working for the athletic department, Sam Sessons. Who Sessoms, who, who who left Penn State, and uh, Shep Garner and Trent Buttrick, who also left Penn State, and Tyler Nussbaum, Ross Condon, the longtime assistant under Pat Chambers, is the head coach of the team. So it should be fun to watch. One difficult part is they're in the Syracuse Regional, and if they win their first game, which they probably should, they play Bayheim's Army in the second. And I have to imagine getting getting calls in Syracuse against a team called Bayheim's Army may be a challenge, but it'll be a fun team to watch. You know, hopefully they get at least a couple games, even more than that. A lot of good guys on this team, a lot of good people. It should be fun to watch. It's the first year Penn State has its own dedicated team. Other teams have done this. I know Syracuse has one every year, Wichita State, Purdue. I think uh, Hara actually played on Purdue's team uh, in the past. So it's fun to see Penn State hoops taking it to a little bit different, uh, you know, a little bit different stage. We don't usually talk Penn State hoops in the summer, but but a few reasons to do that with you here, Mark. Uh, good luck and, and safe travels to you and Daniel out to Indy. Hopefully you're there well in time to, to talk to Pat Kraft on Tuesday night and then roll on through to the players and James Franklin on Wednesday. We'll look forward to your coverage. Let us know what you need here from Happy Valley. Talk to you real soon. Yeah, keep Jeremy in line. He's a troublemaker. <laughs> do my best. <laughs> we'll see try. you guys. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
The aforementioned Jeremy Warner from Illini Inquirer joins us right now. And Jeremy, last time we had you on, you were one of the many people who were telling me it didn't matter how banged up Sean Clifford was. Penn State wasn't going to lose at home in Beaver Stadium to the Illini. And I was with you. I predicted probably a 30-point win for Penn State. Nine overtimes later, we know what happened. We know how that season went. And since then, the Brett Bielema bandwagon has started to fill up a little bit. Uh, so we got a lot to catch up on. And first and foremost, thanks for taking some time for us. I know I'm going to return to favor on Friday and hop on your podcast and talk about Penn State. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tyler. And uh, looking forward to you hopping on with us. But uh, I just heard Mark Brennan rattling off guys who look like all world players against Illinois basketball. I, I don't know if there was a fan base more happy to see Micah Shrewsbury leave. Sorry, Penn State fans, than Illinois, because he just absolutely owned Brad Underwood and, and certainly Jalen Pickett and, and Seth Lundy were big parts of that. Um, man, they, they brought their best against Illinois, and Illinois had no answer for those guys. Well, look, we got a lot of Big Ten football to talk about in 2023. It's a, it's a big year. We got Big Ten media days coming up, and the first conference opponents that both of these teams are going to see is each other. Now, Penn State's making the trip this time, noon Eastern kickoff out there. What kind of, a, I guess, buildup are you sensing? I know that, that Toledo comes to town. And then Illinois goes to Kansas in week two. Then they come home for this Penn State matchup. And there's every precaution never to look past the, the, the game in front of your face. But are you sensing a bit of a groundswell for what this moment might mean for the program? Yeah, it all depends on what happens those first two weeks because neither of those are gimmies, right? Toledo won the MAC last year. They're one of the best MAC programs for for more than a decade now. Uh, and, and then, you know, so that's not an easy first game. Usually you want to get your feet wet. You'd rather have Ford Atlantic come into town. I know Tom Herman's there now, but that's not as good of a program. Um, and then you have Kansas, a road game at a Kansas team that when Illinois scheduled this, they probably thought Kansas was going to be pretty terrible. Uh, and they're not because they hired a good coach. But so did Illinois. Like Kansas thought Illinois would be a pretty bad opponent. And, and these are the two coaches that Illinois seemed most interested in, was Lance Leipold and Brett Bielema. Uh, so it's interesting that they're now facing off against each other. So yeah, if Illinois takes care of business and is 2-0, and if they're as good as Brett Bielema thinks they're going to be, then I do think that game of an 11 a.m. kickoff, I think Fox is going to be here for that game. Their big noon kickoff yeah. is going to be here for that game. That's a potential arrival moment for Brett Bielema, right? I mean, they, they kind of had it in, in 2021 with the Penn State win. That was a big moment for the program, but they didn't make a bowl game that year. Last year, you know, they beat Wisconsin. They beat Iowa. They beat Minnesota. So they take care of business in the Big Ten West, but then they fail to close the season. They lost four of their last five. So if they're able to go 2-0 and and get Penn State in the town, I do think it's – Illinois hasn't had a sellout crowd since 2016. Lovey Smith's second game, North Carolina, and a quarterback that – uh, lives in infamy in the state. Mitch Trubisky came to town, and they absolutely blitzed Illinois. It was it was it wasn't even competitive. Um, so Penn State, if they are two and zero, Illinois two and zero, that crowd and that fan base is going to be pretty fired up because then they have a chance to go four and zero with Ford Atlantic the next week, and then Purdue and Nebraska are next on the schedule. So all of a sudden, you're, you're thinking, man, this this could be a, a potentially relatively special year if Illinois is able to knock off Toledo, Kansas, and Penn State to start the season. We've talked a lot here about Penn State entering the season, projected top 10 program, and the kind of spotlight they're going to encounter right away. NBC primetime matchup home against West Virginia. That's bookended in September by their whiteout game uh, here at West Virginia, another primetime nationally televised hoopla event. 
But before that, you, you got to make this road trip, like you said, 11 a.m. local time. And it's kind of a sneaky national setup here because if Illinois, to your point, can get through those two tough matchups, then they'll be generating some significant publicity. We already know we'll be there for Penn State. So it does set up for something here. And, and, and let's talk about last year because it was a seven and one start. Yep. Finishes at eight and four, which you know you'd take eight and four in a heartbeat before the season. It doesn't look as pretty when, when you start the season seven and one, but does it feel like things all of a sudden got accelerated in the timeline for where this program could be under Brett Bielema? And maybe there's a danger of of being a little too far over your skis in year three. I thought they'd be a bowl team last year because they were really strong in the trenches. They added some nice pieces and and they're just well coached. It's just for the first time in a long time, Illinois football is well coached. Like their staff, I think if at Penn State could do pretty well. If they were at Iowa or Wisconsin, could do pretty well. Like when they were hired initially, I thought that they had to make a, a change in offense coordinator after the first season. But Barry Olney proved to be a solid offensive coordinator last year. But I didn't see a seven game win streak, especially after they went to Indiana and, and Tyler, they, they blew it. Uh, they, they outplayed Indiana for that entire game, they were dominant in the trenches, but they had four turnovers, they had special teams miscues, all the things. Ron Zook, Lovey Smith, Tim Beckman, all these coaches had struggled with. It felt like, oh, can Illinois football ever break through? And then they won seven straight games and they clobbered Wisconsin. Just went up to Camp Randall, clobbered them to the point that Paul Chris got fired the next couple of days. Uh, and then they beat Iowa kind of at their own game, this ugly 9 6 game where they it's only field goals. And then against Minnesota, a, a team that I, I think has been sneaky good the last three years. And, and they beat them by double digits and, and really dominated the final, what, 25 minutes of that game. And then they go to Nebraska and get another win against the Cornhuskers. And, and obviously that thing was a, it was a train wreck at that point. But it really, there was a huge breakthrough. And it was all built on things, Sour, that are sustainable. It's, it's strong play in the trenches. Uh, their offensive and defensive line were two of the best groups in the Big Ten at that. I don't think they were quite Penn State level or Ohio State level or Michigan level. But for Illinois, what they aspire to be, why they hired Brett Bielma, was because he coached at Wisconsin. He coached at Iowa. He coached at Kansas State. Those are three models that Illinois is going after. And what they have built seems more sustainable. How they won running the football, stopping the run, being dominant defensively, uh, and then just having a quarterback who, who doesn't hurt you. Uh, those things showed up. But the last five games, they didn't play nearly as well, except for their blowout of Northwestern. Um, and, and they just lost games because of some special teams miscues or penalties. And some of those things cropped up. But even, even with that missed opportunity, like they should have been in, in at, based on their start, they should have been in the Big Ten championship game, not Purdue. But Purdue came in, won. Michigan State came in and won. And then they lost uh, late against their game against Mississippi State in the bowl game. And they should have won against Michigan. <laughs> like they went to Michigan, were up 17 to 10. In the final quarter. So there was still an element of learning how to win some of those close games, especially when they weren't up two touchdowns, just kind of coasted by running the football, having a dominant defense. So they need to take that next step. And there are questions about some of those with some of the guys they lost, but the sustainability of building it in the trenches and being well coached, um, I, I think can that's a big question moving forward is can they sustain success? Because uh, in, in 2007, they made the Rose Bowl, but then they went five and seven the next year. In 2001, they made the Sugar Bowl, and then they won five games the next year. Um, can Illinois put
put back-to-back seasons together, I think this is their best opportunity because they're still strong in the trenches. And, and that's how, in the Big Ten West at least, that's how you win. Yeah, sustainability here I think is the key word because uh, when you spend so much time in a valley and you start to sense that you're you're trending in the right direction, it's, okay, is this catching lightning in a bottle and let's savor the moment because it's here and gone? Or is this the new normal? Are we starting to get a little more comfortable here? What would you say is the biggest threat to that sustained success where if Illinois' tail spins a little bit or, or even just that trajectory goes downward here in 2023, what do you think would be the root cause? I'm going to, I can't give you one thing. I'm going to give you a couple. Uh, sure. one, one is Ryan Walters is a special defensive play caller and he's, he's gone. He's now the head coach at Purdue. That's also, that's a good sign for Illinois because they haven't had a coach uh, move on to be an FBS head coach since Mike Loxley back in 2009, 2008. Um, so they haven't had guys that have moved on to that kind of level and to be a big 10 coach. That tells you how highly, Purdue thought about him, but how highly he's thought of as a coach. And I think he's a special leader. Um, so Aaron Henry's promoted from within young guy, inexperienced play caller. Illinois does have strong defensive coaches around him, including Andy Boo, who's the defense coordinator at Rutgers and in, in Maryland in the past. And plus Bielema is a strong defensive coach, but you replace that guy. You replace a special defense coordinator, Broyles award candidate. You lost four starters in a secondary. That was a huge reason you were good, right? A, a huge reason. Illinois was one of the best defenses not just in the Big Ten, but the country. Um, Sidney Brown was a third-round pick. Devin Witherspoon was a number-five pick overall. Quan Martin was a second-round pick of, of the Commanders. So you have to replace all of that. Four starters in the secondary. Uh, and then you lost a, a, an all-time great in Chase Brown at running back. We feel Bielma has enough history of running backs. No one has got some depth at that position. It's one of the few possessions you feel like they have depth. And then they have to replace the quarterback. Tommy DeVito wasn't a superstar, but he was a competent top half Big Ten quarterback. Illinois hasn't had one of those in at least seven years. And they really haven't had stability at quarterback since Nathan Shieldhouse back in 2013 when he when he left. Um, so th- those are three question marks of, of the team of, of why it could backslide. But the strength of, and why you think, I think, that a bowl is probably their floor of a six and six season is because I still think they have one of the best offensive lines in the Big Ten. I think they have one of the best defensive fronts in the Big Ten and and several NFL players on both those sides. What is the outlook at quarterback this year? Uh, Because as you said, I mean, that has been a thorn in their side. When there's been chances to win games or stay in games, they haven't gotten the quarterback play to make it happen. What's the outlook? When Penn State rolls into town with what we think is going to be a pretty fearsome defense week three of this season, who do you expect to be the quarterback firing the bullets back at them? It'll be Luke Altmaier, uh, barring injury. He's a four-star, former prospect who had huge SEC offers. Alabama at one point had offered him. I, I don't know if he actually could go there uh, at the time, but went to Ole Miss and played in the Sugar Bowl as a true freshman. Uh, Matt Corral got hurt in that game, and he came in through a touchdown pass, had some struggles, but he, he proved himself to like he wasn't – the moment wasn't too big for him. And then he battled Jackson Dart for the – the starting job last year into the season. Uh, he got hurt. Altmaier got hurt. And then Dart took the job and just ran with it. And he was, he was really good. So sitting behind Matt Corral and Jackson Dart, that's not like you're a bad quarterback. He was the backup quarterback to both those guys. Uh, but he's got a pretty good arm. He's got really good touch from what we've seen uh, in the few practices that were open for us. He's a little bit taller than Tommy DeVito. And he's more athletic. The issue is Tommy DeVito had about 1,200 snaps as a starter um, mm-hmm. in, in, at the Power 5 level. Altmeyer has under a hundred. 
Um, so the, there's just not a, not a lot of experience there. there there's probably going to be growing pains. And for Illinois, you hope he can work through those in a tough September and, and still be successful. Like Toledo is not going to be easy. Kansas, not going to be easy. But Penn State is by far the best defensive test. I mean, how many NFL players, especially on that defensive front, um, that he's going to face there? Uh, he does have a good offensive line. He's got three starting receivers back. But I think he's going to be pretty good, Tyler. Uh, and the great great thing is he's got three years of eligibility left, so he could probably provide some stability. But he's just he's going to go through some growing pains. Uh, you know, Drew Aller is probably another level of a talent, but you know, you expect some growing pains once these guys first get their first starting job. And how do they deal with failure? Uh, and the other part about Altmaier that concerns me a little bit is he's he's skinny. Um, so how, how does he hold up to the punishment that a Big Ten quarterback typically is going to take? Uh, looking across the field, who are potential game wreckers? Uh, I guess guys who could swing a game because right now you're talking about losing some serious NFL talent uh, and from, from the Illinois program last year. So either side of the ball, just a few names that Penn State fans, Penn State's defense. I know Manny Diaz already has them on his radar, but yeah. who should we have on our radar? Well, one guy you guys probably remember is Josh McCray when he has a true mm -hmm. freshman ran for 140 yards in that nine overtime game. Uh, he, he was injured all of last year. Uh, but he looked like a bell cow back that, that first year. He had two games of 140 yards, one against Purdue and, and one against Penn State. So not bad programs there. Uh, but I expect he's going to get a lot of the, the workload now that Chase Brown is, is in the NFL, fifth-round pick, an All-American last year. And, and Brett Bielema's got a good history of running backs. Reggie Love is going to be part of that. Isaiah Williams is a slot receiver. He had offers from everybody out of high school. I think including Penn State. Um, Remember him well, yeah. You know, Ohio State had offered, Alabama had offered a wide receiver. He came to Illinois to play quarterback. Once Brett Bielema got here, he said, no, you're playing wide receiver. And it's worked out really well for him. So he's a good slot receiver, potential NFL player. Uh, but Isaiah Adams, offensive – we don't talk enough about offensive linemen as game breakers. Isaiah Adams probably going to be an NFL draft pick. Brett Bielema thinks he can be a day two, maybe day – probably day two because he's a guard. Uh, but he's really good. He's one of the best offensive linemen in the Big Ten. Julian Pearl is a really good left tackle. But the defensive front of Illinois is one of the best in the Big Ten. Um, obviously, the three teams in the East have the most talent and the most depth. But Illinois' starting group, and they should be healthy week three, I would hope, uh, they are as good as it gets in the Big Ten West, in my opinion. That includes Iowa, who I, I have great respect for up front. Johnny Newton might be the Big Ten defensive player of the year. Uh, he was one of my votes last year. He's an absolute game wrecker in the three technique, can play a little bit of end. Um, he's projected as a first-round draft pick in the NFL. He's just got great power, great explosiveness. Illinois hasn't had a player like him since Corey Legit, um, but he, he's, he was a second-team All-American last year, first-team All-Big Ten guy. Keith Randolph is, is a likely NFL draft pick. I've seen some you know rise him on their boards as they, they've dove more into the film from last year, 6'5", 300 pounds, Really athletic, but he feels like he's just scratching the surface still. And then Illinois has two outside linebackers, and Seth Coleman and Gabe Ackes, who have the chance to be NFL draft picks. Seth Coleman was one of the better edge rushers in the Big Ten last year, uh, and then Gabe Ackes was a freshman All-American, 6'3", 265. Looks like a guy that Penn State would, would have uh, as, as a four-star prospect coming out of high school. Was under the radar, um, but he really turned it on last year. So that front seven is, is good. And it needs to be good because they have a young secondary. There's a lot of talent. They've had a lot of transfers to the secondary. But uh, the, the stars are really in the trenches for Illinois. The, the question marks are, are mostly for the playmakers.
Jeremy, a really good primer for, for preseason camp as we all start to, to get to work and learning more about our respective teams on our beats. But let's circle back with each other a couple games into this season, see where our teams are at. We'll talk on the podcast again. Uh, I'll be on your podcast this week, so I'll talk to you a little bit sooner than that. But thanks for jumping on and giving our audience a good glimpse into what Illinois looks like here in season three under Brett Bielema. Thanks for having me, Tyler. Hopefully Illinois uh, could take care of business and make that game actually a, a big game once uh, Penn State gets to town. All right. Thanks, man. Talk to you soon. Uh, thanks to everyone for listening to the Lions 24-7 podcast. We'll have complete coverage at Lions247.com of a really busy finish to July. We've got the Lash Bash festivities upcoming, one of the premier recruiting events on the calendar. That is preceded by the final Elite Showcase Camp event of the year. We've got some stories looking ahead to that as we've got confirmed visitors speaking to some really interesting prospects coming to campus, searching for offers. Some of them already have offers, trying to make decisions. So a lot cooking right now on the recruiting trail and, of course, shifting gears and getting to business with preseason coverage for Penn State football. That's going to happen in a big way next week with Big Ten Media Days. Daniel Gallen, Mark Brennan, both feet on the ground out in Indianapolis for the entirety of that event. They'll come back to town for a busy recruiting weekend. And then just a week later, preseason camp is here in Happy Valley. We'll be back on the field talking to players, talking to James Franklin and seeing practice uh, in pads and and all that. And, And the other thing that leads to September 2nd, kickoff against West Virginia. And before we know it, we're back with Jeremy breaking down the Big Ten opener. But first things first, we got to to finish out July. We'll do that next week back here on the podcast with a couple more episodes. Stepping aside for now, I'm Tyler Donahue. Thanks, as always, for watching or listening to our podcast. We'll talk to you real soon right here at Lions 24-7.